One of the things we want out of life is to be happy. A simple thing in some ways, but it's just what we want in our culture. We, we talk about pursuing happiness, the pursuit of happiness, and how important that is. But the truth is, happiness is very slippery. We think that if we could just eliminate enough pain and eliminate enough worry and, and in, put things in our lives that would make us happy, we'd be happy and everything would be okay. But the truth is it doesn't work that way. Neither happiness nor life. Maybe you've done this. You're having a good day. You're doing stuff with friends or family. Things are going pretty good. You've enjoyed it. And then it gets quiet for a few minutes and you think, man, this has been a nice day. I'm really happy. I haven't worried about blank all day. And then what do you do? You start worrying about whatever it is you just thought of, right? And the happiness is gone that quick. It is so slippery. It gets away from us so easily and so quickly. It's not even that something bad has to happen for us to lose happiness. It's just thinking about past, past the pain or worries about the future or something that's going on in our present. And suddenly the happiness is gone and we can't regain it. Our lives are not worth, even though the Declaration of Independence may say so, our lives are not worth the pursuit of happiness. There's something more. We need something more than just pursuing happiness because happiness will always get away from us. And in some ways, happiness only sort of points toward what happens when it's gone, the lack of happiness. We need something more durable, something more enduring, and we find that in Scripture. It's called joy. We begin a new series today that we're calling Pure Joy, and we're focusing on the last two chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians, we call it. We talked about the first two chapters last year, so I want us to, to finish that up this year with chapters 3 and 4. And one of the things that characterizes the book of Philippians is joy. Paul talks about joy all the way through this book. In fact, more than in any other book in the New Testament. Five times we hear about the word joy, and five times we're called to rejoice in some way. And what's interesting to me is that Paul wrote this book, well, he wrote it when he was in prison. He's either in prison in Caesarea, which was on the coast of Palestine, or he's in Rome in prison, at least under house arrest. All the way through Philippians, Paul's go, Paul goes back and forth between, I've got to face trial. He had appealed to Rome. He'd been accused in Judea of a violation of temple rules, and it was all trumped up. It was Jewish authorities who were trying to entrap him. And he was found guilty, but he appeals to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. So he's awaiting trial, and he knows that trial is either going to mean release, and he can get back to doing everything he wants to do, which is preaching the gospel, or it's going to be a death sentence. One or the other. There's no middle ground. And Paul goes back and forth thinking, well, maybe it's going to be okay. And then, well, maybe I'm going to die, which is still going to give God glory. But that's where he is. And here Paul is writing under circumstances that you would think would create anything but happiness. The possibility of a death sentence, current imprisonment, nothing is going his way. He's not happy. And yet all he writes about is joy. So there's something deeper and more enduring about joy than there is about happiness. 
So today I want us to think about the basis for Paul's happiness, now, or his joy. We seek for joy in lots of different places. Something deeper than happiness, it's joy, but, but we look for joy in places like family, and I think we find it there. The joy that we experience when a child is born or a grandchild is born. The joy we experience when a new couple begins life together. But we know even that doesn't last forever. Because family's not perfect. And because even that joy ends in death. We look for joy in our work and we may find it there. Accomplishment and advancement. We feel like we're doing something that matters, but then we retire and suddenly all that we've been doing all those years is, is done by someone else and they're doing it in a different way. And it seems like some of the things that we valued are disappearing. Or maybe we, we seek joy in our friends and we may find it there. But again, it doesn't always last because people move and they, they go in different directions in life. And a friendship that's hugely important today may not be as important in a few months or a few years. That joy doesn't always last. So where can we find real joy, pure joy? That's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. And I want us to begin right at the beginning of the chapter because Paul introduces this thought, first few words even, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He's talked about this before apparently. And it is a safeguard for you. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, listen, let me tell you about my experience with joy. He goes on to describe this, that at one time in his life, before he became a Christian, his joy was found in his religious genealogy, you know, how he became important among the Jewish authorities, and his religious accomplishments, his education, all the things that he'd done, the fact that he was persecuting Christians because he thought they were wrong. He found his joy in pride, what he had done and who he was. Those were the things that were most important to Paul. But then we get down to verse 7, and everything has changed since he followed Jesus. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And we see this interplay between the word loss and profit all the way through this passage down to verse 11. The things that once were profit, the things that once were, well, the things he valued the most, now are, they're really just a loss. They're negative. He wished he could do away with those things. Skip down to verse 10, or verse 8, excuse me. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of what? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he takes it a step further. It's not just loss. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. All these accomplishments becoming a, a leader among the Jews, a Pharisee, maybe even a member of the Sanhedrin. All that is garbage. Literally, the word he uses there is something you flush down the toilet or throw in the landfill. One of the two. It's worthless to him now. The only thing that matters is the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, the way he says that's really important. 
Paul comes from this religious system where knowledge about things was really important. You had to memorize Scripture as a Pharisee. You had to know all the laws, the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. All those things had to be in your head. It was all about knowing the right things. And now Paul says, it's not not knowing the right things, it's knowing Jesus. Not about Jesus, not just the facts about Jesus' life, What he finds worth in is knowing Jesus. It's a relationship. Verse 10 takes it a step further. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You know, you could know a lot about me. You could know I was born in 1969 in Atlanta. You could know I graduated from high school in 1987. You could know the jobs that I've had, how many years I've been married, all those things, and you could still not know me. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Not just the facts about Christ's life. I want to know Christ. He says, I want to know two things there. The power of his resurrection Not just the fact that he was raised and what date that was on, how it happened, who were the first witnesses. He says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. He wants to experience that. And then to take that a step further, he says, I want to know the participation of his suffering. Now, the word participation is a really interesting one there. It's a word that sometimes we translate fellowship or even community It's the word for, some of you have been in church a while, the word koinonia, maybe you've heard that in Greek. It's all about something that we do together. So he says, I want to know, I want to know what it feels like to suffer and die as Jesus did. I want to be there with him when he died for my sins. Now, a lot of us might say, I would love to have been there when Jesus gave sight to the blind. I would love to have been there when Jesus stretched out his hand and has someone stand up who's been unable to walk their whole life and suddenly they can walk. I would love to have been there to have heard the Sermon on the Mount. I would love to participate in all of those things. But I don't know many of us who would say, I would love to participate in the beatings and the cross. I'd love to be in community with Jesus in the middle of that. But that's what Paul says. Because it went a step further. Because if he died in Christ, he would know that he would experience resurrection in the end. The same power of the resurrection that Jesus has already experienced. He wants to know Jesus. You see, it's all about this relationship. It's not about winning a trivia contest. It's it's not about knowing exactly the timeline of Jesus' life. It's knowing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. And so the message for us as we look through this, well, let me read one one more passage before I get to that. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So I'm not there yet. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, it's athletic language here, straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I am taking everything that I've got and I am pressing toward this one goal of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. So the message for us is to get to know Jesus, not just the facts about Jesus. Not just the Bible trivia about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. Now, remember, Paul began the passage, verse 1, let's get back to that, rejoice. Let me remind you about my joy. I used to find joy in all this stuff that I did. I could list all my accomplishments for you, everything that would appear on a resume and look awesome and make me an important person. And I would take all that stuff, crumple it up, throw it in the garbage can. What I want now, what brings me joy now is knowing Jesus and participating in his suffering and being raised from the dead. That's joy. That's joy when you're in prison facing the possibility of a death sentence because happiness is hard to muster under those circumstances. But joy, joy in resurrection, that's real in those moments. So what do we do with this? How do we find joy in knowing Jesus? You know, I think a lot of us are accustomed to reading Scripture, reading even the Gospels, for knowledge. We want to know the right things, and that's hugely important. We want to know some things about Jesus. We want to know what he taught and and how he taught it. We want to know what he did and what all that pointed to. We want to know about the crucifixion and the resurrection. We want to know the facts, and those are important things. And we can never set that aside. What we need to do is take all of that and say, okay, there's one thing we need to add to this. These are the facts of, of Jesus' life. This is knowing about Jesus But I want to take that a step further. I want to know Jesus. And so we have to change some of the questions we ask as we study Scripture. Maybe we begin with the questions that a reporter would ask. What happened? Who was involved? Where did it happen? When did it happen? All those basic questions that would tell us the facts about Jesus. But then we set some questions beside that that need to be answered. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus heal this man? Why did Jesus say that? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he, why did he not give an answer to Pilate that would have gotten him off? Why did Jesus do that? And then we get to know Jesus. Think of it this way. I've always enjoyed studying history, some I read for, you know, just enjoyment. And one of the people that I've studied a lot is our second president, John Adams. And, and you know, you could know, you could know a lot of facts. You could know that he was born in 1735. You could know that he went to Harvard, that he was a lawyer, knew several different languages. He was our first ambassador to the United Kingdom. 
you could know that he signed the Declaration of Independence, that he was our first vice president, second president, beaten after one term by Thomas Jefferson. You could know that 50 years to the day after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, both he and Thomas Jefferson died. Those are all facts. They're all true. They're all in the books. But you still don't really know much about who he was. If you want to know who he was, read the letters that we have between Adams and Thomas Jefferson, or even more. Read the vast correspondence that we have between Abigail Adams, his wife, and John Adams while they were separated by the Atlantic. And there are letters that talk about their relationship and their children and their finances and their country and what mattered to them and the tedium of everyday life. And then you'll know a little bit more of the man. Sometimes we need to read the Gospels in the same way. Not just to get the facts, though that's important, but to get to know who Jesus was and why he was here and what he was attempting to accomplish by the power of God at work in him as God's son. And so we ask different questions and we open ourselves to this relationship with Jesus rather than just a knowledge about Jesus. But I think we have to be intentional about this because it's easy to look for the facts. And we need the facts, but we need more than the facts. I'd like for us to sort of do an exercise together over the next couple weeks to help us get at this knowledge of Jesus and not just a knowledge about Jesus. Not that long ago, I was reading the Gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters. It's short. And I was just struck by how fast Mark progresses through the life of Jesus. It's just story after story after story, very succinct, telling the action, and that's about it. And it struck me how great an outline of Jesus' life we get just by reading this, the shortest of the Gospels. So what I'd like for us to do as a church, for 16 days, I'd like for us to read one chapter in the Gospel of Mark. We'll begin today. So today will be Mark chapter 1. And I'd like us to, to ask these why questions and, and the question, what does this tell me about Jesus? Not just what happened, who was involved, okay, all those things. They'll be involved in that. You can't avoid it. But why did Jesus do this? And we're going to interact on Facebook a little bit about this. Each day there's going to be a post about the chapter that we're reading for that day. So this afternoon there'll be a post about Mark chapter 1, tomorrow Mark chapter 2, okay? Read that chapter, go to the church Facebook page or look for it in your news feed, and there'll be a place for you to interact in the comments. And let's share with one another. Let's be the church. Let's participate, have fellowship with one another in this way to build one another up in our relationship of knowing Jesus. If you're not online, go ahead and read those chapters and still think about, why did Jesus do this? What was he trying to accomplish? What was God doing in this moment in the life of Jesus? So that we get more than just the facts about Jesus, but we get to know Jesus. Because in knowing Jesus... That's where we find pure joy. Let's pray together. God, lots of us have been guilty of pursuing happiness far more than we've ever thought about joy. 
So God, help us to move past that and find joy in the only place that is really enduring, in Jesus. God, give us joy in Christ so that whether we're going through great times or very difficult times as Paul was as he wrote this letter, we'll have joy. Joy in the knowledge of Christ. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.